Stand by for the hook. Welcome to The Hook with Katie Kempner, Vice President of Agency Communications at Crispin Porter and Bogusky, the most awarded advertising agency in the world. Every Tuesday at the intersection of advertising and PR, The Hook, where Katie talks with advertising visionaries, top journalists, cutting-edge creatives, authors, and PR gurus. Hear what these industry insiders have to say about the changing landscape of advertising and PR today. Now here's your host, Katie Kempner. Hello, today is Tuesday, January 8th, and you are listening to the very first 2008 edition of The Hook, where each week I talk to advertising, marketing, and public relations insiders who are both leading and covering the industry. My hope is that you will find inspiration from these thought leaders and, of course, have some fun along the way. And today is going to be a lot of fun with my returning guest, Holly Sanders, who is the advertising reporter for the New York Post, one of the fastest-growing major metropolitan papers in the country. Holly has been writing about significant developments in advertising and marketing well, it says in her bio three years, but I'm thinking it's more like four now. Yeah, and, it's getting um, pretty close. Is that right, Holly? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's getting close to four. I try not to think about it. I was thinking I've known you for quite a while at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like lowballing my age. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we'll still say three. And uh, many people definitely turn first to her story when they when they open the paper in the morning. I I, I know I do. So, hey, Holly, let, let's jump right in and, and, and talk a little bit about uh, the writer's strike. What's going on? Well, uh, it's in its eleventh week now. It's it's getting you know, depending on your point of view, pretty interesting. I mean, there there hasn't been any progress in terms of the negotiation between the writers and um, the producers. The producers, in fact, are actually the major networks and and film studios. Mm-hmm. And so there's been a couple of I think significant developments. Um, mm-hmm. The first one is that the Golden Globes, um, you know, the star-studded telecast that it's kind of a prelude to the Oscars, was essentially scrapped, and um, that was largely because most of the stars said that they wouldn't cross the Writers Guild picket line. So that's that's a pretty big deal, and it doesn't bode well for the Oscars. Um, no. The, the ne- yeah, yeah. The next big thing that's I would say that's that's happened is that um, the Writers Guild, in an effort to um, you know break the uh, the stalemate that's going on right now, they're they're trying to strike what what I would describe as side agreements with some of the smaller producers out there. So, for instance, United Artists, the Weinstein Company, or two uh, smaller film production companies out there that um, are either in talks or have actually reached a deal with the Writers Guild that basically says they can go ahead and hire striking writers um, until this thing is resolved. But how does that work? So like you, so I, I saw you write something about Tom Cruise and United Artists and how they were able to strike a deal with the Writers Guild of America, but how can you be on strike and and be working. Well, what is essentially it's it's called my understanding is it's it's what's called a me too agreement in the industry and and that's a way of saying that you basically say that whatever terms the writers guild ultimately reaches with the major producers and networks and you know we're all assuming that some sort of agreement will be reached down the line that you will abide by those terms. And the writers basically lay out kind of a minimum in terms of what sort of, uh, you know, what, what they're angling for in terms of the, the contract negotiations. So, for instance, they want to be paid uh, residuals um, for, you know, shows and films that are streamed or downloaded online, for instance. So, you know, basically if you're a United Artists and you struck this deal with them, you're saying, hey, we agree to abide by those, those terms that you eventually reach to settle the strike, and we sort of understand that this is a framework that you are, you know, hoping to achieve. And, and so that's, you know, 
basically what was agreed upon. And then the Weinstein Company is in, in similar negotiations. But now let's talk a little bit then about, well, I guess I have two different questions. Um, just to sort of go a little bit into what it means for the industry. So no Golden Globes. I'm devastated because I, I love to watch and see what people are wearing. I really of don't course, care who of wins. Course. It's one of the biggest shows of the year in Hollywood. You know, who's wearing what? And if it's possibly going to affect the Oscars, I mean, what does that mean for all these, all these advertising dollars? Well, I would say there's, there's actually two aspects, uh, two advertising aspects to both the Golden Globes and the Oscars. One aspect is that, you know, the, the, the movie and film studios themselves really like these red carpet shows because it's a way to promote movies. So, for instance, um, I wrote about this American Beauty is an example of a film that did decently at the box office before the Oscars, but when it actually took home the award, um, got a huge, big boost at the box office. I think it, another, I think another $50 million in ticket sales or something to that effect. It was, it was high. So from the studio's perspective, these, you know, glitzy red carpet shows are a great way to promote their films to, an, uh, to a mass audience, many of whom have not actually seen the films. Um, mm. The second thing is that the Oscars in particular, and to a lesser extent the Golden Globes, the Oscars are, um, it's a huge night for advertisers in general. It's second only to the Super Bowl in terms of the ad rates they charge. I think the Oscars um, last year, probably $1.5 million, something around that, for a single 30-second spot on the Oscars. It's not Super Bowl money, which this year is you know, $2.7 million for a 30-second spot, but it's sizable. It's, I would say it's the, you know, the second biggest event. So um, if, the, if something happens to the Oscars, that's going to upset a lot of advertisers especially, I would say, um, women-centric advertisers, the, the makeup companies, for instance, that really look toward this event as a way to get their message out there. So it's, I mean, it could be potentially, you know, really that the ramifications are, I just feel so bad for the writers. I was talking to a friend of mine who's married to a really successful writer who writes a lot of movies, and she said, well, you know, it doesn't really affect him because it's, you know, I guess because he's made so much money, but I mean all these all these writers that really need to work. Plus, I don't know what's going to happen to Carlos on Desperate Housewives. Is he going to stay blind? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, yeah. the The interesting thing about the writers' strike is that when when any of the the three major guilds um, or unions go on strike. So there's not just the Writers Guild. There's also the Screen Actors Guild, which is you know represents most of the Hollywood actors um, on both mm-hmm. you know both television and film and then there's the the directors guild those um, you know guilds can form you know sort of various alliances depending on where where their interests lie right now the writers guild is leading the charge on the strike front the um, the actors and the directors don't negotiate their contracts until later although the directors have entered into kind of early contract negotiations right now with the producers but but that's kind of a long way of saying that um, the whole ecosystem of Hollywood kind of, you know, depends on all everybody sort of agreeing and moving in the same direction. And what's going on now with with the writers holding back is that most of television production is halted. So that means not only are the writers out of work right now, but basically everybody from the caterer to you know the booker on a late night show is um, is out of work. So it, it it sort of it's like the dominoes fall, you know. And right now production is proceeding on a lot of movies, but um, 
for instance, if you need massive rewrites on a movie script that was set to be, you know, that was set to start filming, that's not going to happen right now because of the writer's yeah. strike. So it's like one by one, everybody is starting to feel the pain. And, you know, it was the writers first, obviously. Like I said, it's, it's even like, you know, the guys that do the lighting on the sets, everybody's really feeling it. And honestly, I've been starting to get emails from a lot of people here in New York that are involved in the film and, and television industry who are um, definitely expressing concern. I guess this was a pretty rough Christmas for everybody involved. So I'm with you. It's, it's you know, it's really painful. The writers feel that they need to do this to ultimately get a fair contract. And um, so, you know, that's why they're holding out. Let me ask you one thing, just to go back quickly before we move on in terms of advertisers. Are, what are they doing to lean on the networks to get the deal done? I mean, I don't think any anybody wants to run ads on, on reruns or, you know, all these masses of reality shows. Right. Well, I... And my my opinion is that the Golden Globes are the first time that the that the advertisers have really felt the effects of the strike, and it's still a relatively small group. And the reason why I say that is, you know, the networks had enough shows to basically get them through the November the November sweeps, right? December has for a long time now already been sort of a rerun month. So a lot of people probably didn't notice over the holidays um, Mm -hmm. the effects of the strike. Now that we're getting into January and most people are sort of gearing up to return to the television set and see what's on, that's when they're going to start to notice changes. This is also the same time where the advertisers are going to really see the impact of the strike on the actual ratings, because thus far you just haven't seen it. Um, mm-hmm. The networks are putting on some of the new, like, mid-season replacements. For instance, Cashmere Mafia is an example of that. That show's still going to go forward. I believe that's on ABC. Um, but a lot of the mid-season replacements aren't making their debut. And, of course, the networks are filling in with a lot of reality shows that um, – you know, based on past experience, most of them probably won't do that well, although they might have a hit or two in there. You never know. Um, but the ratings are going to start declining, and that's going to be a direct result of the strike and, you know, major changes in the schedule. So to my knowledge, I don't know, and trust me, I've been asking around, you know, what are the advertisers doing? I'm surprised there hasn't been some sort of letter, you know, collectively sent out by some of the yeah. top advertisers, a Procter & Gamble, for instance, saying, hey, guys, we really need to get this settled. I haven't seen that happen yet, but it would not surprise me if over the next several weeks when, you know, we see the, the impact on the ratings that um, there might be a few more public calls to do something about this, on the, at least on the advertiser front. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see um, to see how it ends up. So now let's talk about uh, somebody who is doing something a little bit different while uh, there's the writer strike. And one thing, although probably nothing to do with the other. So actually, that was like a really bad segue. <laughs> <laughs> you can relate the two. It's okay. <laughs> but I tried. But I wanted to talk about something else that you wrote about, which is uh, um, Will Ferrell and FunnierDie.com. Right, right. So, you know, yeah, Will Ferrell, arguably, you know, the the hottest comedic actor right now in Hollywood, um, has uh, he and his longtime biz- uh, I wouldn't say longtime, but his his comedic writing partner, a fellow named Adam McKay, have essentially launched a site called Funny or Die, and it's become a hub for um, you know any sort of humorous online clips. And what really mm-hmm. launched the site was actually a. Um, a short bit that Farrell and McKay did called The Landlord that stars McKay's young daughter, Pearl. She's only about two years old. Um, it's, it's sort of a cranky, um, boozing landlady, for lack of a better way to describe it. And the clip has been a huge hit. Uh, last time I checked, it's had something like 50 million you know, downloads. I mean, people um, just really loved it. So the site itself is, I guess you could say, one of these experiments in, in delivering 
you know, content directly to consumers. It basically bypasses the whole Hollywood studio system. And um, it's gotten some venture capital backing recently from Sequoia, which is, I would say, a pretty, you know, it's a heavy hitter in Silicon Valley in terms of yeah. backing startups. So a lot of people are looking at Funny or Die to see what to see what happens there because, like I said, it does have a lot of buzz. It already has an instant viral hit online. So um, it's one of those things, like, if Funny or Die can't make it, you really have to question who else online can make it. But I, I don't know. I, I think right now there's a lot of optimism about where the site is going. So let's also talk. I noticed that you wrote a little something about it's possible that Will Ferrell is going to be in a Super Bowl ad. Yeah, yeah. My um, my sources uh, <laughs> tell me that uh, what Budweiser, you know, Anheuser-Busch, which owns obviously Budweiser and Bud Light and some other beer brands as well, is it, you know, perennially the, the biggest Super Bowl advertiser out there. They, they typically run, you know, anywhere from, you know, 10 to a dozen spots. And um, this is this is their event of the year. You know, they want to have the best, the funniest commercials. They want to win all the polls for the, you know, the best commercial. So um, what I've been told is that they're, uh, you know, talking about running an ad that would basically starve uh, Farrell, but he would be in character from his upcoming sports comedy, um, a film called Semi-Pro, in which he plays, like, you know, kind of the typical, <laughs> feral character, a bumbling coach, you know, former player who um, is trying to inspire his team is, is, you know, kind of the gist of the movie. So uh, I know that they're talking to him, but you, you never know with Anheuser-Busch. I mean, they really wait until the last minute to really pick the ads. They put them through a lot of focus groups and kind of figure out what people want to see. So I'm hoping it ends up in the game, but we'll have to see. Well, that's amazing that you should know so much about it. I mean, putting on my PR cap for a second, you know, <laughs> it's so hard when so many people are involved to try to keep these things secret, and a lot of right. clients really want to um, kind of keep what they're doing, to, you know, to be a big secret and sort of unveil it at the Super Bowl. Why do you think that the Super Bowl continues? I mean, you mentioned it earlier when we were talking about the Oscars. Why does it just continue to be the place where ads can can be? Is it simply because of the amount of people that are sitting in front of their televisions? Or somehow has it, you know, have has the advertising just been associated with the Super Bowl? What's what's the hookup? <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, seriously. Um Yes, huge number of people. I think it's any like these days it's around ninety million people, you know, probably close to a hundred million tune into the Super Bowl. That's men, that's women, that's children, and they're, they're and you know, fairly wrapped attention. And it's a it's a group activity event. You know, people are really in the mood to sort of sit down and talk about what's on television. So that's that's clearly clearly one aspect of it. The other is that, you know, the Super Bowl has this, you know, I guess proud history of, of being the showcase for, for great ads. You know, that started back in 1984 when everybody, you know, when Apple had its, uh, Apple computers had its really iconic ad and it was very cinematic and everybody said, wow, you know, the Super Bowl is where you can really, you know, do some amazing creative work. Um, so it's set this sort of standard for Super Bowl ads. Now, that isn't to say that every year the Super Bowl ads live up <laughs> to their reputation. I think we've had some really good years and we've had some really bad years. But I do think it's consistent in that so many people, uh, you know, tune in just to, to see the ads. I know that I'm one of those people. It's quite funny. I, I watched it last year with my, with my boyfriend. He goes, you're the only person I know that leaves the room during the game and comes back to watch the ads. <laughs> But I actually don't think I'm alone. I think a fair number of people look forward to it every year. Um, and, and I would say this year there's actually a third reason why the Super Bowl is going to be, I think, really big. Um, in addition to, you know, obviously the, the Patriots are just on a phenomenal run or, uh, right now, it's, um, 
it's also that the strike has has made it really difficult for people to sort of anticipate the television schedule. You know, what's going to be on? Where can you get the ratings that you want? Um, I think a lot of advertisers looked at the Super Bowl and said, this is a sure thing. You know, we are going to get huge numbers. Everybody's going to be sitting there watching it. And I think, you know, Fox, which is airing the Super Bowl this year, they came out pretty early and said, hey, we're almost sold out of spots. And it was, I think, a couple of months in advance of of the time at which most of the networks have said, yeah, we're, we're getting close to a sellout. So uh, there's, you know, like I said, this additional factor this year that has really made the Super Bowl a showcase for advertisers. Now, is it a place where we're going to see political advertising, or is it too early for that? Huh, that's, that's an interesting question. You know, for the most part, the candidates tend to stick to, you know, buying, uh, you know, spots on local broadcasts. There isn't a lot of national network advertising, which is what the Super Bowl is, right? Everybody sees it in every market, not just New York or Los Angeles. Um, I can tell you since I've been on the beat, I'm trying to recall if I've seen a candidate get in the Super Bowl. I I would be surprised, let's put it this way, I'd be surprised if there was a national network buy by any given candidate. I would not mm-hmm. necessarily be surprised if somebody tried to buy a local market, you know, if there's, for instance, a, you know, a key state coming up. Um, it's, it's not something, to be honest, at this point that I've really paid a lot of attention to in terms of the political advertising, because just usually they're not in the game. But it's, a, it's an interesting question. I should, I should check into it. Let me ask you one thing, about, just about consumer. You know, last year sort of the theme was consumer-generated ads, and, you know, the, so many of them, and there was the Doritos, there was the... It was the, the trend, um, the big trend last year, yes. <laughs> yeah, well, is it going to continue? Is it going to go away? Really good question. I was actually having this discussion today. Um, Doritos, I think, is the the only one I know of so far who is doing um, a user-generated ad, but I, I think it's a little bit of a twist. I think what they're actually doing is, is holding a contest um, for, for um, aspiring singers to, to, you know, to come up with a song, and then that song will then be featured in the ad. Um, that's what I know about it thus far. So there is a, 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 at least some user-generated element to the commercial. Aside from that, I'm not sure that anybody's jumping back on the consumer-generated bad wagon this year. And you know, I think when it comes to the Super Bowl, um, everybody's looking for a gimmick. You know, everybody's looking for the new thing. You know, when, when the net, you know, when the internet started to make a comeback and everybody said, oh, we need to have a web tie-in, you know, you saw, you know, five ads all with, you know, clearly hawking their websites or clear reference to their websites. You know, last year it was user-generated. I don't think that's going to be the big trend this year. Um, it seems to me like we're back on the, you know, heavy on celebrities this year <laughs> in terms mm-hmm. of big Super Bowl ads. But that actually happens in, in many years. I mean, celebrities, are, you know, are kind of a, a fixture of the Super Bowl. But um, to be honest with you, I haven't really seen a clear trend emerge this year. So I am interested to, if, if the advertisers sort of come out more with what they're doing. Um, I'm on the lookout for one, but I, I don't think it's going to be user-generated. Any specific companies' ads that, are, that you're really looking forward to seeing this year? Yeah, you know, um, <laughs> as silly as it sounds, I'm kind of looking forward to the Pepsi ad. Justin Timberlake is going to be making some kind of appearance in that. Pepsi is always heavy on celebrities, but they tend to be pretty fun, you know, musically driven ads. Um, so it'll be, I'm curious to see what happens on that front. Um, I'm trying to think if there's, you know, there's been some rumors about what Dell Computer may be up to. Um, Mm -hmm. There was, I guess, one blog posting website that's out there that's saying that they're doing a a deal with Product Red, which is, you know, the Bono-backed charitable group that essentially sells, like, the red T-shirts at Gap, for instance. It's to, you know, raise money for Africa and and, and AIDS. And Mm -hmm. um, there's rumors that Dell is working with Product Red on a very celebrity-filled ad. There was uh, one report that said it was going to feature Brad Pitt. 
uh, my sources say it doesn't feature Brad Pitt. <laughs> but isn't he busy in New Orleans in... building stuff? <laughs> I, I'm sorry. Say that again. I said, isn't he busy in New Orleans building yes, stuff? <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot of people say, ah, I don't really see Brad Pitt doing it. Um, but, but you never know. I mean, the Super Bowl is always full of surprises. So I'm 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 interested in seeing who might appear in that ad. But I I'm not holding my breath that it's Brad Pitt. Let's put it that way. He actually has starred in a Super Bowl ad spot in the past for Heineken. Um, but a lot of people didn't necessarily see the ad because Heineken um, bought in local markets, so it showed up in some of the major markets during the game but was not actually that, that national network buy that I was talking about earlier. So it's a quasi-Super Bowl ad that Brad Pitt has appeared in. Um, so we'll see what he does with Dell. That sounds great. Let's take a really quick break. We'll come back and more and more and more questions for Holly. We'll be back right after this. Sit tight and don't move. The Hook will be back after this short break. Hey, this is Danny Sullivan from the Daily Searchcast. You know, we love bringing you the news every day, and that's made possible by the sponsorship of BruceClay.com. They've just made Inc. Magazine's list of the fastest-growing private businesses. They've exhibited and sponsored at my conferences from the very beginning. Bruce has got that long-standing search engine relationship chart. Had been out there with the code of ethics, been a search engine expert in the field for ages. But did you know that Bruce Clay can do more than help you with just SEO? They can do PPC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding. Everything you need for success in the online marketplace, you can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years, offices worldwide, they've got answers you need. Check them out today at BruceClay.com. Bruce Clay Incorporated. Can you believe how long it takes to order food here? Uh, Here we go. Excuse me. She's not even looking over here. Great service is hard to come by. Whether you're sitting at a bar, restaurant, or creating effective search advertising campaigns. Um, excuse me. I think we need to go somewhere else. It's easy to feel forgotten, especially when your advertising budget is on the line. LookSmart serves up to 400 million queries a day with a side of the best customer service in the online advertising industry. Hi, how are y'all doing today? What can I get you folks to eat? You were right. This place is so much better. LookSmart, premium and performance advertising solutions. Hey, what are you reading? Revenue Magazine. It keeps me up to date on everything in performance marketing. Yeah, I get all my information online. (laughs) I don't see a computer next to your boogie board there. Well, I've got a regular magazine here. (laughs) Revenue Magazine is the only hard copy magazine that covers affiliate marketing techniques, search technologies, online fraud prevention, and interactive advertising, branding, and marketing. My magazine's got pictures. Revenue Magazine has everything for online marketers, affiliates, merchants, agencies, and networks. And you can read previous issues, blogs, and more at RevenueToday.com. Wow, mine's got a centerfold. Revenue Magazine, the performance marketing standard. For more information, go to revenuetoday.com. The whoring of Facebook for promotional purposes continues with the WebmasterRadio.fm Facebook fan page. Join our fans by clicking the Facebook logo on the WebmasterRadio.fm homepage and keep up to date with all the latest. Become a fan on Facebook. Drop into the Webmaster chat room. Webmasterradio.fm. Clothing is optional. Webmasterradio.fm. Webmasterradio.fm. We're everywhere. Now back to The Hook. The intersection of advertising and PR. Only on Webmasterradio.fm. Now, here's your host. Welcome back. I am talking with my guest, Holly Sanders, who's advertising reporter for the New York Post. Hello, Holly. Hi, Katie. Let's turn a little bit and talk about um, 
just touch on Rupert Murdoch. You know, the journal is now part of the, the same company as the Post. Do, do you have any thoughts just quickly about his acquisition of the journal and what that can mean for the journal and then maybe if it means anything for the Post? Well, you know, I think like most media and advertising reporters, I was really following the story more from, you know, a, per- a person who's following it just as a news story as opposed to noticing any changes internally. I have to say, um, within the Post, you know, we're <laughs> we're obviously eager to see, you know, what happens there. Um, don't have a lot in terms of, you know, any inside knowledge, but um, obviously one of the biggest media stories of the year, um, it, it could... It, there are some really interesting competitive things that are that are taking place now that this, for instance, um, the New York Times and CNBC announced agreement the other day to you know share content on their websites, and it was clearly to you know sort of counter um, the Wall Street Journal and now Fox Business News, which is the newly launched you know channel within um, within News Corp that's also targeting the business community. So you do see that those sorts of um, it's a chess game, <laughs> you know, and you see mm-hmm. everybody kind of moving their pieces around. I, you know, that's kind of where my interest in the story lies right now. I, I don't, you know, I, I'm I'm sure that when you know Rupert Murdoch was interested, expressed interest in you know buying the Wall Street Journal and has made his bid for the company, that you know obviously that set off a lot of fears about oh is the journal going to be more like the Post? You know, I think I think the Post is the Post and I think the Journal is the Journal, <laughs> and most people you know recognize the difference between the two. I'm sure you will see some changes. What those are, I I, I don't know, but I don't think it's going to be um, you know a, a a sort of classic tabloid <laughs> like the New York Post. <laughs> so okay, so that was a big story of 2007. What were some of the other big stories now that we've just come to the close of it. What were some of the things that you were really following? Well, you know, obviously the um, huge number of acquisitions that took place in the online advertising space. I mean, that was, um, d- depending on your, you know, your point of view, um, I would say Google, um, Google's bid for, for DoubleClick you know, pretty much sparked the whole thing. It was, you know, $3.1 billion for a company that just a few years ago, um, you know, had been bought by private equity, was seen as struggling a little bit, kind of need to be, you know, refashioned. And, um, you know, $3 billion is a huge price tag. It fetched way more than anybody expected it was going to. Um, and that set off a chain reaction. Microsoft made a $6 billion, you know, bid for a Quantiv, another big online advertising player. You had WPP Group, um, a large advertising conglomerate, decide that they needed to get a big online presence, so they went out and bought 24-7 Real Media. So you saw, you know, everybody um, trying to get a piece of the action, and that is arguably going to really set the stage this year for determining, I think, how a lot of online advertising is bought and sold. I mean, it's only, you know, everybody's trying to figure out the best, uh, most efficient way to help advertisers navigate the online space, right? Um, right? Huge number of websites out there. How do you buy advertising across all these websites? How do you reach the right audience? And these companies are all trying to position themselves through these acquisitions to do that best. They want to be like, you know, the go-to uh, place for advertisers in terms of this new, you know, digital online world. Um, so that is a big story last year, and it's going to play out, I think, in a different way this year. Um, as for Google and DoubleClick, you know, they're still, <laughs> they're still waiting for regulatory approval. It got it here. You know, the FTC just signed off on it recently, but they're still waiting for European regulators. So it's interesting that the one big, you know, deal or acquisition that's, that sparked this, this whole um, chain of events, we're still waiting for that one to close. <laughs> so that might be another big story this year. <laughs> Let me ask you just some, something about that deal before we move on to anything else. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think Google kind of said, well, we're, you know, you should approve this because we're not a direct competitor to DoubleClick. Is that, is that right? Well, you know, once again, it depends on your viewpoint. I mean, 
Google's position is that they are sure that they're, you know, they have a dominant position. They have 60-something percent of the market in, you know, online paid search. Um, mm-hmm. DoubleClick operates in a, um, is also a dominant player, but in something else very specific, which is the ad-serving market. So, you know, you go to a website, an ad, you know, pops up on the screen. That's DoubleClick's you know, software doing that for the most part. They are very dominant in that market. Google has argued that those are two different online ad markets. You know, one is paid search, one is ad serving. You know, it's a, it's a complement, not an overlap. Other people have said otherwise, that if you, you know, you look at the whole, grant, you know, the whole online ad space and you look at this as all, you know, part of the same thing, that this is, you know, that they overlap and that this is, you know, too much power and too much dominance in the same market. It Clearly the FTC agreed with, Google, and that's why the merger got approval. European regulators have been um, more skeptical of the combination. They've been asking um, a lot of the um, online advertising players here in the the U.S. to get their sort of perspective about how dominant Google is. They've been sending out Mm -hmm. a lot of questionnaires, for instance, and I've seen several of them, and they're pretty detailed in terms of the information that they want to know. So I think, you know, we just really have to say what what regulators in, in, you know, overseas say. They may approve the merger, but with some stipulations, you know, with some restrictions. And um, that's, Mm. that's, I think, a real possibility at this point, but we just kind of have to wait and see. I don't, I wish I had more insight into the the European Union, but they're, you know, (laughs) for (laughs) geographic reasons, I don't. So anything else about 2007 before we move on to uh, 2008? You know, advertising each year always seems to have one big scandal. <laughs> and I yes. would say the last year, who can forget about Julie Rame, you know, the former ad star at Walmart, and, you know, the big legal brouhaha that followed that. I have to say, um, you know, I, I talked to other ad reporters on this beat, and that has to be one of the most, you know, scintillating <laughs> stories that, that came down last year. I certainly wrote about it a fair amount. So um, I would be remiss without mentioning that because that had tongues wagging on Madison Avenue, no doubt. I mean, and there were, you know, I, I read recently now that I think she's dropped her final suit, right? So Right, right. They settled. Yeah, so basically she, you know, she sued for, you know, wrongful dismissal, and, um, you know, Walmart basically hit back with a bunch of other charges, basically saying that she had, you know, an illicit office romance that was, you know, um, against company policy, that she accepted gifts from vendors. So it got really, really ugly. She also, I might add, hit back with allegations that there was a bunch of uh, cozy you know, business dealings at, you know, top-level executives at Walmart, including the CEO. So it just seemed to sort of escalate with each passing day. Um, and it, when all was said and done, um, they just let it drop. And I, and I think everybody realized that this was just going to get ugly and nothing good was going to come of it. And I'm sure it was also getting quite expensive, especially for, um, you know, for Mrs. Mrs. Rame, uh, who, you know, I, I would not want to go up against Walmart in terms of the legal department. So no. probably, you know, it just so, yeah, I mean, to make a long story short, after months of, of legal wrangling, it just kind of ended with a whimper. So what are you looking for for 2008? It's a new year now, and, you know, what do you think some of the, what are, I guess, what are the things that are, you see as trends or things that you're looking forward to covering this year? Well, we discussed the writer strike. That's going to really, this is the year where it's going to, you know, come home to roost for advertisers. So, um that's probably, you know, priority number one right now. Um, I would say number two is um, concerns about an economic recession. Advertising, you know, if you talk to some folks, they will say that advertising can be the canary in the coal mine, meaning that if, if companies are getting nervous and they're looking to cut spending, they oftentimes do it on the advertising front. Um, we saw some kind of telltale signs of this last year. Uh, 
the the numbers for ad spending in 2007 were pretty abysmal. Um, you know, they were only about like I think 0.3 percent for the for at least through the first three quarters of the year. That's like the lowest rate since the recession back in you know 2000 2001. So not not a good year for advertising overall. Also, um, another pretty good indicator is the retail environment. Retail did not have a great Christmas shopping season this year. All the numbers were, were pretty disappointing across the board. That also doesn't bode well for advertisers heading into this year. I think that um, Internet is still going to be pretty strong, but I think there are going to be some, some signs of trouble elsewhere. I'm sure that there are plenty of people who would disagree with me and um, are still pretty bullish on the advertising space, but I've got to be honest, I, I'm not right now. I think they're in for a tough year. Um, I think the Olympics... And the political ad spending, which is, you know, ferocious right now, um, yeah. is going to help somewhat with the overall numbers. But I, it doesn't float all boats. It, it, helps, it helps support local broadcast television, for instance, especially political advertising. But it doesn't help newspapers, you know, um, or at least not that much. Certainly the Olympics doesn't help newspapers. So there are, there are going to be, you know, some areas where I think a lot of people are going to feel some pain um, heading into 2008. And I, I, don't, I think there's still some... Um, some more bad news to come, but you know that's that's my personal take on on the um, advertising environment. But I I would be surprised if we suddenly saw a bunch of optimism and you know advertisers were just opening their wallets and spending more. I, w- I would be shocked. But it could happen. It could. It could. Yeah, it could. But uh, you know these these things tend to have. I think if you've been covering this long enough and you've been in the ad space long enough too, you know that when once things sort of start heading in a, in a in a direction, it takes a while for them to reverse course and go back the other way. And I, I just don't see. In fact, I was talking to TNS Media Intelligence, which is the, you know one of the leading trackers of of overall advertising spending. I'm sorry, I, I, not just online, but you know television, radio, Hispanic media, for instance. And um, the lead forecaster over there, a nice guy named John uh, Swalen, was saying how if you back out um, political ad spending in the Olympics, um, instead of the 4.2% growth forecast, which is his forecast next year for ad spending, it would only be around 2%. So it would roughly have um, his estimate. So that, that says something about the impact of these two events on, on ad spending and just, you know, the core market without those two isn't that strong. Now, yeah, hmm. so it's going to be – so you'll have to come back again and, and, you know, later in the year and tell me how course, things are going. Always. <laughs> always happy to come on. <laughs> Thank you. And one last thing before you go, and then I'll let you go, is just for – you know, I would, I would be remiss if as a PR person I just didn't quickly ask you, if somebody has something that they think would be interesting to you, what is the way that you like to be contacted? Uh, you know, I, uh, if it's a – I always encourage people to, to just give me a call if they think they have a company or, you know, somebody in my in my space. It's just always good to have a name or two. So, you know, feel free to call me. Um, otherwise, if it's a specific pitch, I usually prefer it in an email. So um, I'm happy to give out my number on the air or my, my email if you want. Otherwise, I'm pretty easy to track down on the sure. internet. It's uh, direct line 212-930-8282. And my email is hsanders at nypost.com. So feel free to contact me with any good story ideas. Perfect, perfect. Holly, thank you so much. Happy New Year, and I'll talk with you again soon. You too. Thanks for having me on. Okay, bye-bye. That's all we have time for today, so please join me next week for another edition of The Hook. Have a wonderful day, and Happy New Year.